And this is a small picture about the size of a passport photo that I have in an old wallet of his. He passed away when I was three years old, and uh, my grandmother gave me his wallet with this photo in. And that photo was taken on the day that they got engaged. And like when I see that, I think of some of those famous movies like The Notebook, right? Like I see him with his, like he was big on his hair, like with his brill creamed hair and his cigarette in the one hand and my grandmother like just like shy and but here is the story she was a cashier in a shop my grandfather walked in he was in the army he looked at her he gave her a super hard time she thought this is such a rude guy he went home and he told his mom i met my wife today that's it and then they got married and they were happily married till the day he passed away but I would always look at that photo when I was little, and I was always a bit of a romantic, and I would be like, that's how I want to meet my wife one day. I want to like, run into her, and I want to be like, I met my wife today. And years and years after their love story, um, Yolanda and I were both studying at the same university. We were part of a similar big circle of friends, never met each other once, went to a music festival at a university in a different town, and I randomly ran into this girl watching a street artist perform, and she introduced herself. I walked away without a number, with, just with her name, and I told my friends, I'm going to date this girl. They're like, you don't even have her number. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to date this girl. That evening, I ran into her again. I got her number, and I told everyone I met my wife today. And a year and a half later, we got married. And now... <laughs> Now we're going for our 14th Valentine's Day together, 12 years of marriage in, in March. But I don't know about your love story. Maybe it's like that. Maybe you had an amazing love story that you dreamed about, and maybe yours started out that way, and then it went south. Maybe it's still going well. But what we're going to be doing today is a day before Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about loving your spouse and maybe you're sitting here and you're like, oh, seriously, is it one of those days? It's not for me. I'm single or I'm divorced or I hate Valentine's Day. But I want to tell you, I think this topic works for everyone. Because here's the secret. Love is and love has always been love. And I remember when I was at my first church, I was married for a year, I started a, a course on marriage and love, and people would tell me, like, how can you like, run this course on, on marriage if you've been married a year? Wait till you're married five years or ten years. And then people would be like, no, no, I know you've been married a while, but wait till you have children. And do you know what's interesting? Love is still love, and it still works the same way, whether we've been married one year or ten years, or we have kids or we have no kids. So here's the secret. This is not just for people who've been married long or people who are newly married or people who want to get married, but this is for everyone. Because if you are married, the secret of love that we're going to be talking about today will help your marriage. And if you're not married, this will help you to hopefully one day enter a marriage that will be healthy and flourishing. 
But in this series, Love Rules, we're kind of looking at love in a very simple way. We first look at love that rules, the beauty of love, and then how it's kind of gone wrong, and then at God's rule for love. So that word love rules has a deal meaning, but we know that as human beings, we cannot function without love. And if you've been really hurt by love, this is the irony, you will still look for the perfect love. Because we were made in the image of a God that not just loves us, but the Bible says He is love. And therefore today, I want to start Re, and I want to read to you from a book of the Bible that is all about love. Okay, and if you've never read the Bible and you thought it was boring, today you will see that it's not boring and that sometimes it needs an age restriction. Don't worry, I stop before we reach that part. Um, but we're going to be reading today from the book Song of Songs. And we'll be reading from Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. I just heard, oh, next year we're doing a whole series in this, and then we will have to, like, PG it or something. So, um, but this is the beauty of love between a husband and a wife. Okay, hear about this. Hear how beautiful this is. Solomon writes, he says, verse 9, You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine and your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. And that's where I'm stopping because otherwise you're going to have to have some serious conversations with your children if they are in the church with you today. Um, but the Bible is full of such beautiful genres. And this includes a whole book that is dedicated to love. And when I read this, I can't help but just feel like fall in love with my wife all over again, right? It is so beautiful. It just describes the love between a husband and a wife so beautifully. It is this thing that people dream about and people write songs about it and they write books about it. And then when you meet that person, you can't spend enough time with them and you can't help it, but all you want to do is you want to put them on a pedestal and you can't do enough for them. It fills us with joy fills us with purpose, it fills us with passion. And the Bible uses so much rich imagery to talk about marriage because marriage is so important. Think about how important it is. It is the only thing in life where the commitment you make to it is a lifelong commitment. In fact, we say till death do us apart, right? Like, I will stick with this person till death separates us. You don't make a commitment like that with your car, there's maybe some crazy people here with a classic that's like, that's the death to us part. We don't do it with a cell phone. Marriage is the only place where we say like, till death do us apart. And the Bible talks about it as well, that marriage is not just something we invented. It is a gift of God. It is more precious than jewels. Like, come on, you can buy your wife the biggest diamond engagement ring. It is nothing that diamond compared to Marriage, the beauty of it. 
We read in the beginning when God created Eve, Adam, in this perfect world that God created without sickness, without troubles, was lonely. He was incomplete until he had Eve. It is that special. And it's so special that when the Bible talks about the relationship between us, the church, and Jesus, guess what metaphor he chooses to use? Marriage. If you don't get that marriage is crazy important to God, then you're not reading your Bible. In fact, when some religious leaders went to Jesus and they tried to, to challenge him on it, and they wanted to talk about divorce in Mark 10, Jesus said, listen, what God has brought together, no human is supposed to separate. Like nothing on earth except death is supposed to separate two people. That is how special and that is how precious love is between a husband and a wife. If you want to talk about love that rules, that is the ultimate pinnacle of love that rules is the love between a husband and a wife. And then they're like, but Jesus, why did Moses then say it's fine to get divorced? And guess what Jesus says? Because marriage is flawed? No. Because love is broken? No. Because God's plan for marriage was not perfect? No. Guess what Jesus says why people get divorced? He says because of the hardness of their hearts. Because something has gone wrong deep inside of our hearts. And that has never been more true than today. Where in Canada, they say the divorce rate is sitting at about 38 to 40%. And that does not account for unmarried couples that live together for a long time, that lives as if they are married, but they don't want to make that official commitment. That actually counts as a divorce, but they don't even count that in. It's just like officially married people that get divorced, 40%. And here is what really scares me. The average marriage length in Canada is 12 to 14 years. Anyone married longer than 12 to 14 years? You have already gone way past what they, what they say the norm is now in Canada. Isn't that scary? And this is what I learn when I read the Bible. This is what I learn when, when I read about marriage. Marriage is a precious gift from God worth fighting for. We live in a world where it's like, give up on it. You know, like you, you have a new phone every two years. You've got a new phone, a, a new car every five years or eight years. You've got a new house every 10 or 20 years. So why do you need to stick with someone lifelong? The Bible tells us that it is worth fighting for. If there is something in this life that you're going to fight for, that you should fight for, it is marriage. It is worth fighting for. But something has gone wrong. And the question is, what has gone wrong that we went from a place where Solomon writes like, you are my precious garden. You're more valuable to me than all the jewels of the world combined. How did we get from there where we're at a place where divorce is so common these days? And maybe you have gone through divorce and you know how much it hurt. But how did we get here? And you have probably heard me talk about, about modern society and a couple of things that I believe caused so much of the way we, we view the world. And the first cause is probably individualism. The second one is consumerism. And the third new one is cancel culture. See, if you ask me about those three things, this is what they all have in common. It's all about me. 
It started out nice individualism. Now, you have to think about yourself. Now, you have to put yourself first. That's what he's saying. It's all about me. How can I be first? How will it benefit me? Consumerism, how does this make me feel? Does it make me look good in the eyes of other people? What do I get from it? Cancel culture. If I don't like what you say, if you don't benefit me somehow, I'm just going to throw you out. Then I cut you from my life. He said, what has gone wrong is that instead of fighting for our relationships, instead of fighting for our marriages, we started fighting for ourselves against other people. And I want to tell you, if that is the way that we head into any form of relationship with this idea that it's all about me, and when I look at relationships in a way where I say, how can it benefit me? You are setting yourself up for disappointment and for failure. Because no human being on earth, no matter how perfect they might seem, no human being can meet every need you have. No matter how Hollywood portrays it, no human being can meet every need you have. You're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. And I want to tell you that if you fight for yourself rather than for your marriage, if you always fight for yourself rather for your relationships, it will lead to the ruin of your relationship. Andy Stanley, I once watched a message by him where he said, anyone with a pulse can fall in love. If you've got a pulse, you're capable of falling in love. It's not that hard. But it takes something much more than a pulse to stay in love. And today what we're going to look, we looked at the beauty of this love, and we looked at a bit of a problem of this love, and today we're going to look at God's rule for love. You see, when God gave us rules, it's not to restrict us, it's to protect us. And when God gave us, gave us rules for love, it wasn't to spoil your fun. It was to make sure that your relationships flourish and that they're beautiful. But what I want to tell you, and I want to make this disclaimer before we go into God's rule for love, it will take hard work. There's no easy outs. There's no magic buttons. And if you speak to anyone who's been married happily for a really long time, each and every person will always tell you the same thing. It took a lot of hard work. Sometimes I wanted to kill my spouse, but I never, I never decided I will divorce him or her. It takes hard work. And what we're going to read today is about some of that hard work that is completely countercultural, that's opposite to what the world teaches us. But I believe this can bring your marriage to the place where you would like to see it. So we'll be reading today from Ephesians 5, one of the most famous and most controversial passages about love. So if you grew up in church or if you haven't been to church and you've ever heard about marriage and love, and especially if you've ever been in a, any form of more feminist circles, you have probably heard about the scripture and you're like, oh no, Leo, are you really going there? Yes, I am. But not the way you think. Let's read. Ephesians 5 verse 21. This is what Paul writes, his advice to husband and wife. This is how he starts. Submit to one another, husband and wife, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this is normally the part where the husbands go like, listen, 
Just pump her in the ribs a bit. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is normally the part where the husbands go like, I hope he stops here. I hope it doesn't continue. But then it continues. And now the wives are like, you listen, buddy. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, and he quotes Genesis now, for this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now this is one of those where often people would say like, oh, you see, the Bible teaches abusive and unloving relationships. The system where the, the wife are always left without power and the husband has all the power. I want to tell you, despite popular myth, the Bible never teaches and permits either sex to be abusive or unloving within a marriage. In fact, we see the opposite, where in most world cultures, for really, really long time, women were seen as almost nothing. The Bible, and specifically in the New Testament in Jesus' time, turns the whole thing on his head, and Jesus is like, oh no. If you read the whole story, man and woman were created as equals in the eyes of God. So it's almost as if Paul knew when people are going to read this, they're not going to read the whole thing. So he gives us this really clear details, and he's like, just read this and you will get it. But sadly, people still choose to just read parts of it. But we're going to talk about the whole part of this, God's rule of love between a husband and a wife, and then see how it plays out. You see, Paul starts, and it's almost as if it could seem to the 21st century, with all our isms, our individualism and consumerism, and now our cancel culture, and, and it's, it's like he gives us something that just counters all of that. He starts in verse 21. He says, before I talk about husband, before I talk about wife, before we get into anything controversial, let's state the rule really simple so everyone gets it. And what does he say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he starts with the basic principle, submit to each other. And this is normally a word that people don't like that much. They're like, I don't like to submit. You know, like, I'm, it's like survival of the fittest. Like, I'm in it for myself. I'm like, that's the problem. The original Greek word, hiputasua, means to subject to. That's just what we read. But here is a better definition of the word that I love. Is to place under. When he says submit to one another, he saying actively choose to place yourself under the other person. There's a different way to say it. Submit to each other. Make a choice to think of yourself less and to think of your spouse more. Or a different way. 
Wives, choose to see your husband as a knight in shining armor that you love, that you look up to. And husbands, decide to see your wife. I say it the wrong way around. I don't even know. Anyway, husbands, decide to see your wife as the princess, the one that you adore, the one that you would give everything for. Another way to say it is make a choice to always firstly consider how you can lift the other person higher. You see, when the Bible talks about a marriage between a relationship between a husband and wife, it is not about one overpowering the other one, but it is about husbands and wives empowering each other. When we are living in that way, we push each other forward to achieve things that we never thought possible. But when we think it's about overpowering, that's when everything goes south. And it's opposite to what the world teaches where it's all about myself, where my first priority in life is how I can promote myself, how I can look better, how I can achieve more. But Paul was smart and he knew that there was a problem with this whole thing of submitting to each other. And this is the problem. We are broken people. So we're like, I want to do this, but everything inside of me is kicking against it. It's like, I don't want to submit. I don't want to think about the other person first. Like, what about me? Like, who's going to look out for, myself, for me? Like, I have to look out for myself first. And therefore, he says, don't just submit to each other, but he's, he gives us a starting point. He says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to each other. You see, Paul knew that our starting point for every form of love, for any relationship, is Jesus. Just last week we spoke about it, right? God doesn't just love us, He is love. So if we want to understand anything about love, we need to know the God of love. If we want to overcome this brokenness and submit to one another, we need to know the God who died on a cross for our sins who made us free from this need to always look out for myself first. He's like, that's where it starts. He becomes the anchor of your relationship. He becomes the director of your marriage. He becomes the example you follow and the purpose of why you love this person. Suddenly, you're like, Louis, Jesus came to serve. I want to serve. And this is a way that my dad always explained it, and I... I love this, and maybe you've heard this before, but marriage, I kind of see it as a triangle, right? With God at the top and the husband and the wife. And this is basically what Paul is saying. The closer the husband and wife moves to God, guess what happens in this horizontal relationship between the two? It gets smaller. But here is the problem, and this is the opposite. The further you move from God, guess what happens with this horizontal relationship? You grow further apart, And therefore, when people walk through my door for marriage counseling, the first thing I want to tell them is like, what does your relationship with God look like? And let's be honest, normally when there's an issue horizontally, it's because there's an issue vertically. It's because my identity is not rooted in Christ. It's because I'm not following His rules. It's because I want to live for myself. I want to do things that benefit me. And here's the other problem. If one is close to God and the other one is far, that horizontal line stays just as far apart. And that's why the Bible says if you're not married yet, do not marry an unbeliever. Because it's an unequal yoke. You will grow closer to God, but the relationship between the two of you won't grow closer because that person is not close to Jesus. If we want to grow close to each other, we need to grow closer to God. 
This is basically how we can summarize what Paul is saying. Is a healthy marriage flows from a healthy relationship with Jesus. I do not believe there is another way around this. And the world has written a lot about this. About how people that are religious have longer marriages than others. And a lot of it is because of overpowering, because marriages are arranged, because the wife does not have a choice. In Christianity, it's not about legalism. It's not just about following a rule for the sake of a rule. It is not about being forced into something and a fence being put around you that you cannot get out of. In Christianity, it's about a relationship with your creator, with your savior that is so deep that it transforms everything inside of you and then affects your marriage and transforms your marriage. So this is not keeping a rule for the sake of keeping a rule, but this is about being transformed by Jesus so that you can love like Jesus. But then Paul continues and is like, okay, we've got that out of the way, you got it. So let's talk about the difference between how you should submit to each other. How does it play out? And for, for the women, there are three verses. And he starts out this way. He says, wives, submit as you do to the Lord. So the reference for each and every woman listening to this is your relationship with Jesus. It will be impossible for you to do this if you do not know Jesus. If your marriage is unhealthy, it's probably because your relationship with Jesus is unhealthy. But that is where it starts. Your relationship with your husband is determined by your relationship with Jesus. And then he continues and then he says, because the husband is the head of the wife. And this is normally where the world has an issue of like, oh, you see, just talked about it. The Bible never classifies women below men. And especially not Jesus. We read that God created them as equals. And we read that Jesus reinforces that, that men and women are equals in God's sight. In, God's sight. in fact, in Galatians 3 verse 28, we read that there's neither Jew or Greek, so there's no more cultural differences between us. One culture is not higher than the other. There is neither slave nor free. Your economical status doesn't separate you anymore. Then he says, it's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. But here is the problem. We think that status and role is the same thing. Status and role is not the same thing. And we all have equal, we all have the same status. We all have the same worth. We all have the same privilege as children of God. But we have different roles. And what God is telling the husband is that they have a responsibility to lead the home well, to give you direction. A home that is divided against itself cannot stand. And if everyone is pulling in a different direction, it cannot stand. That is why at Grace Church as well, a board of elders are talking about how do we align everything because without alignment, without us all going in different directions, what happens? We, in the same direction, we start pulling in different directions and we pull apart, Right? And therefore, Jesus has chosen, God has chosen to say, Husbands, you have a responsibility, not of domination, but of leadership. Of leading your home well. And I want to talk to each and every man, because I believe there is a problem, and we see it across the world, that our attendance with women in the church is rising, and attendance of men is going down. 
And I believe that is because the devil doesn't want men to be leaders. The devil doesn't want men to be the priest in the house. He wants you to be a little baby that lives in your parents' basement and play video games all day long. But God has given you as a husband and as a father the responsibility to lead your family well and to put them on the right trajectory towards Christ. The husband should lead his home. And if you're like, Louis, but that sounds all good and well, but it's still like, I still don't like the word headship. Do you know that the same word is used for the relationship between Christ and God his Father? We serve a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, equal, but different. And we read in the Bible that Christ is equal with the Father, but that the Father is the head of Christ. You see, when Jesus was praying before the cross, he said, I don't want to go through the suffering. I don't want to go through this pain. But he said, Father, you are the head. You are the one who decides the direction, and therefore I will choose to follow your leading. And if Jesus wasn't willing to follow the Father's leading, we would have probably not been here today. God gave the husband and the wife a specific role. And he says, men, you have a responsibility. And wife, you have a responsibility to submit. And then he uses another word, as the church submits to Christ. Do you know how the church submits to Christ? With Utter devotion. That's how we should submit to him. By giving him our absolute best. By following him. And that is what he's asking of women. How should you submit? Allow your husband to be a good leader. But then he continues. And this is so important. Because if that headship is not qualified, that leads to overpowering. That leads to domination. So where the women had three verses, the men have a whole lot of verses where this headship is defined. And he's like, husbands, how are you supposed to submit to your wife so that they can submit to you? Because if we don't both submit to each other, it's not going to work. And then he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church. So again, what's the starting point? Jesus, your relationship with your wife will be determined by your relationship with Christ. And then how? As Christ loved the church. Guess how Christ loved his church? He gave everything for his church. He sacrificed himself. He left heaven and walked the dusty streets of earth and died on a cross for his church. So he's like, husbands, the only way for you to love your wife is to love them absolutely self-sacrificially. Where it's not about you first, but about them, about how you can help them and lead them and lift them up. To the point where you're willing to sacrifice everything for them. But this is deep stuff. And Paul knew that some men are not that deep. So then he's like, for some of you that don't get emotions that well, I'm going to explain it really practically. So then he uses a second metaphor. And he's like, love your wives as your bodies. It's like, yes, you know, like you comb your hair every morning or shave your hair clean take care of your beard, you eat food so that you're strong. You know, all that stuff you do, like you take care of your body so that it can flourish and grow. It's like, that's how you should love your wife. And then I mean, I'm like, oh, I get that. Like the other stuff was deep. This I get, it's practical, right? That's how you should love your wife. Feed them and care for them. What is God saying? We as men should be responsible to care for our families. 
and creating direction for our families that will help them flourish and grow into all that God has created your wife and your children to be. So let me give a tip to all the unmarried ladies. The first thing when you're looking for a husband is what is his relationship with Jesus like? If he doesn't have one, you better run. Because he will not know how to love you. And the second step is look at how he cares for himself. Because this is basically what Paul is saying. If he's incapable of caring for himself, he's incapable of caring for you. That's just reality. Not from me, from Paul. So don't crucify me for it. But this is basically what the Bible is teaching us today. By placing your spouse first, it will lead to a flourishing marriage. We've got different roles, but we are equal in God's sight. And therefore, Paul says, as two equals, choose to submit to the other one. And this is God's rule for the marriage. And this is one of the simplest but most difficult rules you can ever give a human being. So if you are not married, I want to tell you, look for a spouse that's willing to always place you first. And not just in the first six weeks of dating. That's just infatuation. Someone will continuously do that. And if you are married, whether that's a year or 50 years, I want to ask you this week, if there are things that are not so good in your relationship, why don't you give this a go for one week and see what happens? Maybe then two weeks and three weeks and four weeks and see how your relationship transforms. Because I almost want to assure you that most of your difficulties and most of your fights come from a place where you're putting yourself first. So try for this week to follow God's rule and see how things change. Decide this week with Valentine's Day coming up. That's your reminder. It's now every time you hear about Valentine's Day, think about God's rule for love, for marriage. Place your spouse first. Submit to them. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we are horrible at placing other people first. Everything around us screams that we should take care of ourselves first. But you did not come to leave us where we are. You came to change us, to become who you created us to be. And I want to pray for every married couple here today, God. Every couple that's engaged, every couple listening to this online, I pray, Jesus, that you would break down the idols that we've built of ourselves in our own lives. That we will put Jesus first and that our spouses would follow after you. That we would submit to each other and that we would give everything for our spouse. And I pray that as we We give that you will give to us, that you will bless our marriages, that they will flourish, that they will grow, that our marriages will resemble the amazing love that Jesus has for his church. God, I pray that our marriages will resemble you so well that when people see the way we love each other, they will see Jesus in us. I pray it in your name alone. Amen.